Alrighty, welcome again to the LTA podcast. <laughs> you, you may have noticed Caden's back again. I have not moved. I'm wearing <laughs> the exact same clothing. Except no hat this time. No hat. I took it off this time. Alright, this time we got some T-pumps right here. A little break. Short intermission. Now we're going to be doing a D&D. A little bit of discussion. Yup. He's brought... Where, where is it? Oh, I put them all down here. Oh, sweet. Oh, sweet. Uh... Only the essentials. Let's do like... So what is D&D though? I'm sure like older people will understand it, but like for younger kids... Well, sometimes like older us. people don't get it. <laughs> but D&D is short for Dungeons and Dragons. It is a, it's known as a TTRPG, which is Tabletop RPG. So essentially what does that mean? It means it is... It's a role-playing game that you play with a bunch of your buddies on the table and whatnot. I want to move that light. <laughs> it's blinding. Blinded by the light. That's better. Yep. <laughs> um, but the main thing about D&D, it, it has a weird rep that it got. It first came out in, I think, the 80s. And people at the time... They just could not understand what D&D was. Like, they were confused. Like, it's a game that you play, but you also make it up, and it's set in fantasy. All the older generation people are just like, I don't know what that is. My children are doing satanic rituals in the basement. And everyone's just like, what? They're doing what now with D&D? Um, but yeah, ever since then, people had a bad rep about it. But it's been better since, like, a lot of geek culture has been popping up a lot with all, you know, Marvel being the main lead or Star Wars helping with geek culture, which, you know, kind of paints D&D in a better light. But that is what D&D is. Essentially, you have, you, you have your players. It could be you. It could be your buddies or whatnot. And then you have a DM. And the DM is essentially the person that writes... Sometimes they write the story, but they essentially lead everyone else through the game and how it's played. The DM is essentially the rule book, and the players refer to the DM for rules to see what they can and cannot do. So it's like some like third party, like some third person perspective. Yeah, a little bit, because like the DM is going to be the NPCs you uh talk with it's gonna be the enemies you fight it's just gonna be the environment uh it's he's essentially the rule book they're essentially the rule book and that is essentially the very simplified version of what D is cool and is there like different themes like is it like is it like typically like you know like the wizards dragons like like is it like the medieval time or like can you can you like change it up into like however setting and time frame that that is set up for the dm to do the base dungeons and dragons stuff is mainly set in fantasy medieval but there have been many spin-offs which go into other places Mm -hmm. so um there is a there's a star wars equivalent so if you want to take place during star wars Online, there is one that someone made using very similar rules from the 5th edition. Um, and then there is a cyberpunk one. So if you don't want to go into full sci-fi, but you still want technology and futuristic setting, uh, there is a cyberpunk red book, which essentially gives all the whole outline of how a D&D campaign would be set with 
guns, hacking, technology, biotech weapons, and stuff like that. Um, so you can use those ones to help like piece together one in those settings. But say you want to do like modern day, there isn't exactly a book for it. So you can look up and start grabbing pieces from like all the different sources. You can grab some from Star Wars, just be like driving a car. You can take that one from Star Wars or weapons. You can take it from Cyberpunk. But if you want to do magic, you can take it from D&D. But there isn't like a straight book that says it's in present day. Here's the rule book to do it. So when you get to cases like that, that's something called homebrew. Homebrew meaning the DM himself has brewed it at home. So they have made it up. And that is one of the things about D&D which makes it so unique and special is that they give you guidelines on how to homebrew a lot of stuff and make it unique than just a generic campaign that you found on the internet or from one of the pre-bought adventures that you got. So uh, if you want to make a present day one, you can grab elements from all sorts of sources, mm -hmm. but it sounds a good portion of it would probably have to be homebrewed by your DM in order to do it that way. But okay. any setting is possible. You can go back to Neanderthals and dinosaurs. <laughs> A caveman style. You can go caveman style. You can go feudal Japan. You can go ancient China. You can go ancient Europe, ancient Africa. You can do all sorts of stuff like that. You can go a little bit postmodern Japan. Or you can go postmodern New York. Stuff like that. It's all up to your DM's essentially creativity. And how good they are. And how well versed they are with D&D. Huh. Like... D and D it reminds me of like I feel like there's like some kid like kids cartoons where like they'll do like a special episode where like it's probably not I don't know if it's like correlated but like they'll have like the person acting like the 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 DM you know like I don't know if you've like I can think of like I remember there are kids shows yeah like, which there's an episode where everyone dresses up and they play characters yeah, and they all yeah. gather around that's essentially based off of D and D yeah so, so they're just like kind of hinting it or like it's like like, is that, like, pretty similar of how, how it would kind of go? No, that's that's pretty similar of how it would go. I mean, D&D, it can go all sorts of random ways. So what you ever see in cartoons of, like, people dressing up with, like, elf ears or a fake beard and, like, playing out a board game like that, that's essentially what D&D is. It's almost identical. Oh, okay. So that's, that's like, so... Okay, that makes more sense because, like, I feel like I've seen... Some people, of it, you've, you've like, probably huh. seen it, but you've never like made the connection of what they're doing is essentially what D and D is. Okay, and like, how long would a D and D session like normally? If if like, it depends on the amount of players you have, but I mean a D a D and D session can go from like, some people clear out their schedule for a full day, and they do a full day of playing D and D. Some people can go for like only an hour. So I would say at minimum it's probably an hour and at most you can probably go up to a day playing D and D. But you know, it all varies with people's schedules and timing. Okay. And then like like did so like as a DM, is there like like a like a layout for people to actually see like how far they're going? Or like can you make it up or like you're like you you just reached like stage one, like or like it like can they see is like a board where it uh, kind of 
Tell you mean like movement wise or like story progression wise? Well, just like both. Like, is there like a certain rule where like it has to, has to like, there's like a layout of like how far they're at. So if they fight like some crazy boss or something. I'll, I'll talk through story wise first. So story wise, once again, it all depends on the campaign you're running. So the Wizards of the Coast, which are the people who make the D&D books, they have things called adventure books which are essentially stories that they have pre-made, which have a beginning, enemies, characters you play as, and then an ending that you can achieve. Those ones are divided up into chapters, and usually there's some sort of, they they call it an encounter. So it's a moment where you won't nest, where it could go many different ways depending on how your players wanna deal with the situation. So sometimes an encounter could be dealt violently, like your players end up killing all the enemies. Or it could go differently where it's like your players encountered the enemies and they showed them a big old bag of money and now the enemies are have joined the party as mercenaries. And that could be a different encounter. So off of those adventure books, they're divided up into, it's usually three chapters, but certain books will go more in depth up to six chapters um but if you're not doing an adventure book the story progression can be drastically varied depending on how your dm has set it up so i have a campaign called the stolen eye of titan i have made that one up from scratch from beginning to end wow it it, it took a very long time to make but that one is essentially done the way that my players know there is progression is at the end of a section, there is always a boss fight they do. And once they fight the boss, they get the loot and they know they're on to the next section. And then I finished off the whole campaign with a really big boss fight. And then I gave my players closure that way. Other times, a campaign can progress very differently. Um, a campaign could progress... Like section-wise, if the party gets a new weapon or if they talk to a new NPC and they join the party, it can be all sorts of random things. Okay, and then like, so when they're going on the quest and like, you know, when they're, when they're doing like moves, you know, mm-hmm. like for those that don't know, like is there like a dice or something or like... Like, you have to, like, like do a game of chance or something, like, when you're fighting? So, D&D evolves uh, a lot of dice in order to play, and it involves a playing map, essentially. So, the map itself is, it's a grid. It's, it's just easiest to move along it. Each grid is a, it's a 5x5 five five square. So, a D&D mini, like this one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> a D&D mini. The base of it is usually set up. It has a small little black cylinder like that. Okay. And that cylinder will take up one grid spot, which represents a 5x5 five five space. If the disc is bigger, it obviously means it takes up more space. And if it's smaller, then you'd have to look more into rules to determine how much smaller it is. Wait, so is it a character? Or like, is so it this is like a just pre-made... This is a pre-made, so this is a dragonborn fighter. And essentially, if you are developing your character that happens to be dragonborn, and you take the class fighter, this is the exact... 
essentially what your character might look like. But this guy is all gray because he hasn't been painted yet. You have to paint him? You don't have to. You can leave him like this. But if you give it to your players, your players like to customize their characters. So they could paint him whatever colors you want. And also, it depends on the subspecies of Dragonborn. Say, if he's red, he might uh, spit fire. But if he's white, then he's going to spit ice instead. And if he's yellow, he might spit electricity instead. So you paint him to whatever customization or what your character is specifically of whoever you're playing as, subspecies-wise or whatnot. But there's other species, and then there's other subclasses. Like, there can be another Dragonborn, but instead he's holding a staff, and that could be a Dragonborn wizard. Or if he's holding a knife, it could be a rogue. If he's holding a bow, he can be a ranger, and so on and so forth. Okay, so, like, like there's there's some, like, classes that are already preset. Yes. For D&D, and then you'd pick whichever class you want, mm-hmm. the species you want. Yep. Um, can you, like, let, let's say, like, let's say you you do all that, but, like, there's like a piece you just like envision your own like character do you just can you make it yourself or can you use like a different piece or like are you talking like if you want to build something that's beyond just the classes and subspecies well no it's just like you already you already picked like your your species and like the type of fighter but let's say instead of like like you wanted to make everything like from scratch like your own character like your character model Yes. Can you can you do that? Yes. There are websites online where you can just build a character straight from scratch, which says it's a human or it's an elf or it's some sort of other humanoid. You can determine their height, body shape, what weapon they're holding, uh, complexion, all that with it. All that with that. Really? Those are going to be... Those minis are going to be definitely more expensive, mm-hmm. well, obviously, because they're personalized. But yeah, those websites do exist. Huh. That's why um, one of my players has a robot that has a cigarette in his mouth holding a gun. And that's because he custom purchased it and customized it himself. Can I ask how much it was to, for anyone that wants to make their own piece? His... This is pretty cool. His is just a solid color, which is white. He didn't paint it. And it's made from a higher grade material than like their base model. I think his was fifty dollars. Uh, that's that's kind of reasonable. And then if you look on the back of this one, it's five dollars. Five dollars. I so, mean, if it's custom, it, it would make sense. I was I was thinking like two hundred or something. No, that, I, was, I was gonna be well, like, oh my gosh. The main thing is the size. Like if you make <laughs> giant, if you make a giant <laughs> version of it, yeah, I could see it being two hundred. But like a mini size, no, they're probably fifty ish. And that's with a little bit more customization on the material. Because he got an upgraded material. That's cool. So it made it a little bit stronger and easier to paint. That's pretty cool. What does the board look like, though, when you have the... So... Because you have the game pieces right here. I don't have a board itself, but if I pull this one up... And that that's the book? This uh, is the Dungeon Master Guide. So this one is meant for only the the person who's running the campaign and doing the books so the dm the dm so if we look at let's say mapping hmm, let's look at planes no that's not gonna work dungeons mapping a dungeon there we go 102 
So this is like a guidebook for people that want to get into Dungeon Masters. Yes. So, here we go. Here's one. So this is a catacomb setup. And it's, of course, set up like a grid. Each spot is 5x5 space. And your characters are also 5x5. Actually, no. This one, they put one. It's a... One square equals 10 feet. So actually, these squares are 10 by 10 feet. So if you were to put this on an actual board, um, you would know that four players can essentially fit in one of these. So essentially, it's divided up into four mini squares inside. Huh. So is that why some scenarios are like, you can only have three people in this fight, or like you can only have one? Or it's more along the lines of like um, movement. Yeah. So a normal person would have 60 feet of movement. So you'd count the squares. If they go in a straight line, uh, the amount of movement they take, or say you're in a narrow hallway, you can't have five of your buddies shoulder to shoulder <laughs> together in the hallway because you can't, you can't fit. But if you have one person in front, that person's going to block the entire hallway. So if you have a hallway which is like five feet wide, but it's 100 feet long, sure, there's... You can fit how many? You can fit twenty people in there, but if you have a fight, only your front two people are gonna fight each other just because they can't move otherwise. Yeah. So that's why the grid plays into effect, because you have to think more realistically of like, we can't all walk down this hallway shoulder <laughs> to shoulder, so we all have to get in the line, and then I'll be like, the first two people walk over a trap, but the third person steps on the trap. That's that's essentially how I would look at the grid system in terms of a context like this. So it's kind of like you're imagining yourself in like that situation. Like mm-hmm. realistically, you know, the only one person can fit the hallway. And like by some chance you overstep a trap, but the next person, like you can make those scenarios like just just based off their, their player's movement. Yes. Mm-hmm. You ever seen Goblin Slayer? The anime? Oh, yeah. You know there was a scene with one of the adventurers. He rolls the dice. No, he had a sword and he tried to chop a goblin, but when he swung the sword, it he hit, hit a rock. It hit the ceiling. Yeah. That's exactly what the grid system would play into here. Because huh. if I had a spear and I swung a spear, I can't swing it because it's only the hallway's only five feet wide. I'd hit the wall. It's the exact same thing. Ah. And. Uh, for for this map, let's say. Is it already, like, preset of, like, like the mobs that would fit in this setting? Or is it, like, can you add in your own, like, character? You can add in your own, as long as it, like, makes sense. Um, if you have a pre-bought adventure, then it's obviously going to tell you what's already in here. There's, like, it'll tell you a skeleton lies here. This room has a chest that has this amount of gold in it. There's a trap at this part. But if you're making your own campaign like I do, I can make up a, just a brand new map completely from scratch, and I can put whatever I want in it. But at the same time, say I was given this one, I could also add additional stuff to it. Okay. But if it's like, here's an ancient catacombs in an ancient city, does it make sense if you're fighting like a, a kid that has a knife that wandered in here? doesn't make sense. <laughs> but if you have like a skeleton here that's been dead for thousands of years that makes a bit more sense as an enemy to add Ah, uh, so kind of make sure it, it fits the setting yeah 
And then what? Like, what's these like little dots? Is this like where where the like ruins are? Or, those like... can be pillars. Those can be traps. Those can be statues. There's just like it's just like a uh, what do you call it? A legend for the uh, DM in order to keep track of where's what. But when you're playing uh, a game and your players first enter the catacombs, they don't see all this. They would probably see at most that. Yeah. They'd walk in and be like, you can go straight and then you can go left. And once they walk left, then you reveal this part. And they're like, all right, there's a room on the left and the hallway goes down more and you see that there's a, two doors on the left. But as the DM, you're able to see the whole thing. But you ah. only reveal very slowly what your players can and cannot see. Okay. And then once they pass that hallway, you can obscure what happens behind them now. Because they don't have anyone back there to see what's happening. Ah, so keep them on their, their feet. Yeah. So, like, you can mix them up and be like, here's a maze that's always changing. So they walk down the hallway this way. They walk through the door on the left. And they turn back around and the wall has closed up. Which means they have finalized their decision to go that way. So they can only keep moving forward. Stuff like that ah, so is why you would, like, obscure vision or show it. Ah, so that's what makes it more interesting as the dungeon master. Because you can make up any kind of scenario based off the map you're given. Mm-hmm. And is that, why, is that why we did it one time, you and me. You would always ask, like, left or right. And I'll be like, I'll be like, why am I going like only left and right? I can't go straight or something. Now I know why, because the map layout. Yes, because when we did it, I didn't have a map to show you, because I would have to make a bunch of custom maps, and that was when I was first starting as a DM. Now I actually have a lot of maps made for certain situations in which it's necessary. Other times I can just kind of like talk it out, like if I'm expect if I'm not expecting combat, they don't need a map, so to say. Or if I'm not throwing any traps or monsters at them, I can just tell them and describe what they're seeing instead of having a map for every situation. Okay. Now, when you're going into the fight, right? Like, let's say let's say the character's going on this room, and there's, like, it closes on them, and then, like, you know, mobs or, you know, skeletons start to rise in, and you have to fight them. Like, one, let's say it's only one person. It's a one-on-one fight. Do they... So you give them options, right, based off what they have, mm-hmm. and then are they going to say what they're going to do, or you give them the option of, like, you can either throw your item, you can throw your weapon at them, or you're going to, I don't know, do a certain move. Like, do you give them that, or, like... So when it comes to situations like that, I can only, technically, I can only control the monster they're fighting. Whatever they do is completely up to them. So they could... They could be like Star-Lord and be like, I challenge you to a dance battle right here, (laughs) right now. And then if that doesn't make sense, then I'd be like, no. But say it's a very charismatic person and they charm the person, the person would be like, all right, you know what? Fine, we will have a dance battle. (laughs) And it could end up like that. Or other situations could be like, yeah, I stabbed a guy. And I'd be like, all right, you're going to have to give me a role for that. For other situations, be like, all right, I want to have a dance battle. If it's something more complicated, I'll be like, all right, first, you have to convince him into doing a dance battle. Once you have done that, mm-hmm. then you need to do a different role in order to prove how well you can dance versus how well you can fight if you chose to fight, uh, fight him with a sword that way. Okay. I, okay. So all the decisions 
of like how players deal with the situation Mm -hmm. is i leave it completely up to the player sometimes i could give them choices that they could do Mm -hmm. but i never have to force players into those choices okay and then like I'm picturing, like, a fight, right? Like, let's say I'm fighting a skeleton. Yep. I'm, like, picturing, like, it's, like, Pokemon. Like, I get a certain amount of health, and they get a certain amount of health. Okay. I'm, like, is it, like, one fight? Well, I get one move, and then I have to wait until you respond, or I can just, like, like, let's say I'm, like, I'm going to start, like, slashing. I'm going to start spamming my same move on them. Uh, that starts playing into your class that you chose. So, we can pull up our next book. Oh, perfect transition. We can pull the main book that you need for playing D&D, which is the Player's Handbook. This is wow. the book that you need in order to play 5th edition D&D. So, so this is for like me rather than... This is than... for you, and then I have a copy. So in case a player needs help, I'm able to read it and relay instructions and help them through it. So it kind of gives you, like, based off the class, this is the moves that mm-hmm. how so many times... we'll stick with your fighter. We'll stick with a fighter okay. as your class. And you encountered a skeleton. So fighter, page 70. Now, all of the stuff that you have as a fighter also depends on your level. So here we have the fighter. Brief description like what the fighter is meant for so he's a they're a well-rounded specialist they can use any usually any weapons trained for danger so you're kind of backstory wise your character is always like i was trained in order to fight in wars or to be a mercenary or fight on the front lines mm-hmm. you have this part which is creating your fighter so it says like backstory wise how is your fighter how did they become a fighter what weapons do they like to prefer? And then once you're past that point, you start getting into the actual numbers and stats, health, level, available moves, so to say. So let's say you are, let's say, we'll start out very basic. You're at a first level fighter. Okay. So you're brand new to this. If we look here, we can see that you have a fighting style and second win. So we know second win, oh, too far. Actually, no, this is it. So we know, where do we have this? Oh no, we did go too far. Here we go. So we know second win says that you have a limited well of stamina that you can draw on to protect yourself from harm. On your turn, you can use a bonus action to regain health points equal to 1d4 plus your fighter level. So second win essentially says that you can heal a certain amount of points up. And then you have a fighting style, which can be Archery, defense, dueling, great weapon fighting. So you're fighting the skeleton. You would first, both of you would have to roll a d20, the famous d20, to determine who goes first. So in Pokemon, this would be your speed stat. Okay. Now that we have who goes first, we leave it up to the option of who got it. If you went, if you had the faster speed stat, then you have the decision of what you want to do to the skeleton. But if I rolled the better number, then I can do whatever I want to the skeleton to you. So let's say you did roll faster. At this point, there are, you can literally do whatever you want. As long as you tell me and I'm able to go, all right, how would this work out? And I'd be like, all right, this is how it works out. You can, you can say something simple like, 
I have my short sword, I'm gonna swing at the skeleton's head, and I'd be like, all right, then give me the attack roll, and then you roll a d20. If you say something more complicated, like, I am going to run up the wall, do a 360, <laughs> backflip off of it, and while I'm in the air, swing my sword to decapitate him, I'll be like, okay, let's start going through the actions that you want to do. You want to run out of, uh, away from his attack range, so that'd give me an opportunity of attack, mm-hmm. so I'd deal with that. You want to run up the wall, so I'd have to tell you to give me an athletics check. You told me you want to do a backflip, so I'd have to tell you to do an acrobatics check. And then you want to swing your weapon and chop his head off. Then I'd tell you to give me the attack roll. So, so it's a lot more complicated. But say you did get all of those rolls correctly, that it, then I would tell you that is exactly what your character did. So, but if you miss a roll, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> he you, slipped. You, you missed the athletics check. You put your foot on the wall and you slipped, and you didn't make it up the wall in the first place. Or you missed the acrobatics check. So you ran up the wall, but you failed to do a backflip. Or if you missed the attack roll, I'd be like, you did. You ran up the wall. You did the flip, but you swung so wide you did not hit the skeleton whatsoever. How much time we got? 30 seconds? Here, let me reset the timer. We're back. Alright, so... So what I'm hearing is, the more complicated you're trying... The fancier the move, you gotta break down each step. The more steps involved in this attack, the more rolls you gotta do, right? The more rolls you gotta do, and the harder it is gonna be in order to do that. But, say you have proficiency, and you have advantage in order to do that... Sometimes people's characters are built so that they can do fancy, flashy stuff like that. But do they get rewarded more? Like, the the more rolls, is there, like, a better reward? Because you're taking more of a risk? Um, that, more, that more is up, that's up to the DM himself. For me, my players just find their reward is the satisfaction of knowing that their character was able to do that. And then I would usually just give them the normal XP for a skeleton. <laughs> but a lot of my players are just like, oh, I don't care for extra XP. Well, they always want extra XP. But they're like, in that moment, they don't care if it works or doesn't work. They want the satisfaction of knowing that their character was able to do such a task. It's like they're limit testing their characters to uh, see what they can and can't do. Okay, so suppose like in that scenario... He's running up, right? Okay. He's midway into the jump. Yep. And then I miss the roll. He slips. Does that mean, like, the, the skeleton, like, is going to catch me off guard and I, like, I died right there? Mm, I wouldn't say you died, but the moment that a char- a player's roll doesn't go the way they want it to, that's usually when I take over and start describing the situation from that way forward. So say you relate that all to me. And I went, oh, okay. So the skeleton has already done the opportunity of attack and has missed. You gave me the athletics check. And I went, okay, it passed. It would be at this point that you tell me what you do. And you'd be like, all right, I ran towards this side of the wall. I've put my right foot on the ground and I've launched off the ground and started running up. I went, okay. And then you go, now I want to do the backflip. 
and I'd be like, all right, give me the acrobatics check. Say you succeeded. At that point, I'd let you continue describing to me the situation. But say you failed, it's at this point that I would stop you and I would relay what happens further. So if you pass, you would have been like, all right, then two steps away from the ceiling, I pushed off of the wall and then did a backflip and drew my sword at the same time. But if you failed, I would have taken over and said, hey, there was a patch of moss on the wall that you didn't <laughs> see. Your foot hit that patch and you slipped and you just <laughs> fell off of the wall without doing the backflip. That would essentially be how the situation would go. And then, like, I, like as a dungeon master, do you try to give them more opportunities to the point where, like, because you don't want to, you don't want to kill off your player immediately. You this want, is true. You want to, you want to give them like a some more chances. So, what I'm gonna say here is purely based off of what I do and not what Five E does or what other people do. But in Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, people have relatively low health. So there, I'm gonna pull up the book one more time. The book. The book. The, the player's rule. handbook. The Let me flip to someone that I have set up. I have the rules. Paladin. Paladin's not a great one, but I'll just use this as an example. So a paladin hit dice is one d10, which means that they roll a ten-sided dice once, and whatever that number is is their health. So at first level, it is ten plus your Constitution modifier. Say your Constitution's really low, it's a plus one. That means in total your health is eleven. Now, if we go over to, let's say, a weapon. Say I whack you with a club. A club does 1d4 bludgeoning. So theoretically, if I roll the max damage, I only need to hit you three times, and then you would start to be dying. For me personally, I thought that that was kind of low. But at the same time, I was also new to being a dungeon master. So what I did was, is I gave my players a very generous health pool. <laughs> so what I did instead is, I did their constitution modifier mm -hmm. times 10. So wow. if we think about it, if we go back to the paladin, paladin was 10 plus constitution modifier at first level. Say their constitution modifier is 1. That means, according to D&D &D rules, their health is at 11. According to my rules, your health is at 10, which isn't great. But say, oh, mine's not a modifier. Mine's the stat itself. Mine's the constitution stat. A normal health stat is 10. I think it have, I have it as times, I think I made adjustments and it's times five. So if we stick with that, those numbers again, to get a plus one to your constitution modifier means your stat must be 12. So at first level, if you have a plus one, according to D&D &D rules, your health is 11. According to my rules, your health would be at 60. <laughs> so I was extremely generous with my players in terms of health. And with that, that allowed me to whack them and punish them and push them around more often <laughs> without having to kill them. So that's how I ran my campaign because it, it was my first time. I was new to it. I didn't want to be killing players right off the bat. 
So if you told me to run a campaign right now and that did happen to you, say you did fall off the wall and the skeleton <laughs> did hit you, you would be relatively fine. But if you did it like six more times and you failed every time, eventually the <laughs> skeleton's damage is going to start adding up and you're going to die eventually. So with my rules, players don't die too often unless they make really, really, really bad decisions or if they're really unlucky or it just so happens to be a boss fight. Um, in D&D, you could die way more often and much more easily than what I run in my campaigns. Because obviously if you kill a player... They have to make a new character. Sometimes they, they're so attached to their last character that they don't want to make a new character. Um, so sometimes that, I mean, that person doesn't have to be in your campaign anymore because they, they have died. They can make a new character, but they have to start from scratch. And we start off, say their level three character died. When they rejoin, they have to make a level one character. So they're going to be weaker and it's going to be much more harder for them to catch up in terms of XP wise. Sometimes I could be more forgiving and be like, all right, fine, make a new character start at level three. They still have to go through the process of making a new character and whatnot. Uh-huh. I was about to ask that question. I was like, what happens if you died during the fight? Um, then like- There's a lot of things. So I have homebrew items that could theoretically bring players back from the dead. Um, I could also make it a quest in order to bring a character back from the dead. So I could be like, your character died, but your party really wants you. So they're gonna go into the underworld, find your soul, and then bring it back. And I can make that as a new quest. That would be if the player really, really, really wanted their old character back, I would set up as a quest. Sometimes the player would be like, you know, I had a fun run with Johnny, but Johnny got impaled and he has moved on to the great beyond. I'm okay with a new character. Then I would just have them make a new character and then at some point have them join the party that way. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's all sorts of ways of dealing with it. Sometimes I'll just kill a character flat out and be like, yeah, no, they're not coming back. So like... Could you, could you like, have a situation where, let's say they're on a journey, right? Mm-hmm. Can you, like, own two characters? You're, like, they're, bro- they're like, siblings or, like, you know, they're, they're like, I don't know. Like, like it, you have two, you're managing two characters at once. Yeah, theoretically, and, and then, you could do that. The only issue with that is that it's going to be more work on the player to run those two characters. Because you have to think about it. Unless those two characters have the exact same personalities, the exact same classes, the exact same weapons, and the exact same fighting style and whatnot, same species and everything, it's going to be really difficult to run those two. But let's say, let's say we do it that way. We have two humans. They're, the, they're essentially the same species, same subspecies. Um, it's at this point that everything else would start to get really hard to manage. Let's say... Let's say it's a brother and a brother. Say one brother wants to be a paladin and the other brother wants to be a monk. You're already talking about two different classes and two different fighting styles you have to manage. Then we move on to weapons. Paladins like to use like a bunch of heavy armor, big shields, 
and then big old heavy weapons. So at that point, there's a different armor class, there's a different move speed, and there's a different damage dealing weapon. But if we go to the monk, the monk doesn't wear armor. They get their bonuses based off of speed. The monk can move faster. So obviously the monk has a different move speed and the monk uses his fists and the monk's fists damage depends on the level. So it's at this point that the player would have trouble running two characters at once. That's why I usually want to make sure a player only is in charge of one character. What they could do instead is tell me both characters and what they're like, and then pass one of the characters to me, and I would run the other character. Because then it's one person managing each person, instead of one person managing both. Okay, like... Well, say you're say you're experienced. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to manage two? Yes, if you know, like, if you know every single stat of the monk and paladin, like the back of your hand, and you can relay it to me, and you know how to play them, yeah, I'd I, I'd allow you to do it. It's really difficult, but I'd allow you to do it. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. I, th- I, I think I'll remember that. I said I'd allow you to do it, and Felix got a grin on his face like, hmm, I know what I want to do I've now. I wondered what it, uh, you know, what that question. Now I can prepare myself in case someone dies. I'm like, uh, hey, um, brother. I mean, in that case, yeah. You can also be like, oh, my brother died. I'm going to avenge him, and the twin brother joins the party then. And then the twin brother can run off on this party. To avenge his other brother. You can no. do it that way as well. I'll just have one that's super aggressive and the other one's like protecting. I'm making sure he doesn't die. Yep. That's a good strategy. As long as your DM allows it, yep. You can do it. <laughs> In my campaign, it'd be a little difficult to run. But if you talked with me a lot and then we actually relayed what we want to do, yeah, it's possible. Okay. Now, like, let's say, like, Let's say it's somebody's first time in Dun- Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and let's say like they just want to take a break. Would how would you pause it? We just like, you just have them like, remember, just like have them write a piece of paper like all the stats, and then like when they come back next time, let's say like they just were only available for that. So couple hours. you mean taking break as in like taking a break from the session? Yeah, like let's say just everybody only had time for like three hours or mm-hmm. something. So after three hours, your DM would write down, essentially, they write themselves their notes saying, hey, the party has left off here. Now, as for maintaining like stats and everything, if you go back to the the handbook. <laughs> you got multiple. I do have multiple, not every single one's used. So if we go back to the handbook, we have the character sheet. So the character sheet itself maintains all of the stats and all of the stuff of the character at that moment. So for a player, they just have to make sure that this sheet is up to date. And once it is, then they're set on taking a break. Oh. The person that has to do the most is the DM in taking notes of like, where are they? What do they have? Like who's following them? What possessions? I mean, possessions, they would know because they would also write it down on another sheet. to it they'd have it written down on here oh like a little little note section yes on there for maintaining like items and whatnot 
Um, there you go, equipment, my bad. So their equipment would be here. It'd say their money, how much they have, speed, initiative, armor class. Main thing would be hit points, so that's their health. They would have that all written down and whatnot. For me oh. as the DM, I'd have to remember where their location is, who's following them, how far they are in the story, what was the last thing that they did, uh, what was the story that they have succeeded so far, what is their next thing they need to do, and then that's pretty much it. But players, it's easy for them because then they just put these sheets in their binder, they grab up all their dice, and they're done. Oh. That's pretty yep. cool. Now, I noticed you got a couple more books. I do have a couple more We books. only went through two. We only got through two of them at the moment. We went through the player guide, the dungeon and master's guide. Now, it looks like we got monsters and There's... spells. Which book or... would you like to go through? Uh, I have the monster manual. I have Xanathar's uh, guide of everything. And I have Tasha's cauldron of everything. Let's do the monsters one. Okay. I'm sure everyone wants to know how... I feel like those are the pretty... Like the foundations for the whole yeah. game. So, there are obviously some already provided in the player handbook and the dungeon master guide. There are some monsters and enemies provided. But this book is going to be a very large bulk of the monsters that your party may encounter. So if we open up the table of contents... We can see that it is literally just a list of all of these monsters. All of them, alphabetical order. Stating. Oh my gosh. Hey, Kraken. That's pretty cool. I feel like yep. that's a pretty big boss. It is. So let's flip to the Kraken. So like, there's like different like sizes and different levels. Mm -hmm. I have used the Kraken a few times. Uh, what page? It's... 196. You got everything. So in my campaign, my party did indeed encounter a Kraken. So here we have the Kraken. And stat-wise, this is what the Kraken has. And then this is lore what the Kraken is. So it says, uh, if we read it, Beneath the waves, the Kraken sleeps for untold ages, awaiting some fell sign or calling. Landborn mortals who sail the open sea forget the reasons their ancestors dreaded the ocean, even as the races of the deep ignore strange gaps in their histories when their civilizations nearly vanish after the appearance of the tentacled horror. So it gives you, looking at it, it gives you a brief background of its abilities, mm -hmm. a little bit of history, what what it can do, what it can't do, and rewards... So um, what rewards it gives you? come from when you kill it. So if you successfully kill a Kraken, it is a, it is a very generous award of 50,000 XP. And the reason it has so much is it's... that it has a challenge rating of 23. So if your first level people decide to fight a Kraken, <laughs> there's a very good chance they could die. If your level 10 decide to fight a Kraken there's still a very large chance that they're going to die. If you have a level 20 party, which is the max level, they would have to prepare quite a lot, but at that point, it is doable for them to successfully kill a Kraken. 
Okay, so so okay, that's the boss. Now, where's like the mini mini fights? You know, leading up to the kraken. So mini fights, leading up to the kraken. Because I'm back. sure with the kraken, there's gonna be a lot of dice rolling and move sets, and everybody's got like an action they gotta do. So let us look for some sort of aquatic monster. Is there like a squid or like? There are generic animals. Okay. Yeah, actually, yeah, that makes sense. Appendix A, miscellaneous creatures, 317. Some giant stingray, giant anglerfish or whatever. So, miscellaneous creatures. Let's find something aquatic. Let's say they fight a crab. <laughs> <laughs> a very friendly crab, you know. <laughs> it is a tiny beast. It is unaligned. Its armor class is 11. <laughs> it moves, challenge. moves 20 feet, <laughs> swims 20 feet. Its challenge rating is 0. And it gives 10 XP if you kill one. And, um... Has <laughs> the a crab can breathe air and water. Yes, the crab has a trait that can breathe air and water. The crab has a melee attack that has a plus 0 to hit. And it does... It doesn't even require you to roll a dice. It requires, for damage, it does one bludgeoning damage. Huh. So if you rolled a nat 20 on the attack, you still did one damage. So this could theoretically be an enemy that the enemy have to fight in order to get to the Kraken. Uh, I didn't know this halves. There's a crocodile, challenge is half. There is all oh. sorts of stuff. They could fight. Once they fight the crab and they level up, they can move on and they have to fight uh, a river full of crocodiles. And once they move on, then they have to fight an even bigger monster. And you start slowly scaling up equivalent <laughs> to the player's level. From the crab to the kraken. <laughs> all right, you fought a bunch of crabs. Now it's time for you to go into the kraken. Yep. T time to go head on. Someone accidentally goes diving in and actually comes across a kraken, tries to swim away, brings the whole kraken over to the boys. So, for a character, for a monster that if you need to fight at first level and then work your way up to the kraken, a crab could theoretically work. So does so I'm guessing the dungeon master gets to decide on the number though when they're fighting a crab. Um, what do like, you mean the number? Like you know, like let's say let's say like they're at the beach, right, mm -hmm. and they're like. They, they're fighting a crab could the dungeon master be like all right once you get into the fight they just he gives you a random number or it's like after you kill the crab a bunch of other crabs just gathered around that would be up to the dm that would be like hey you encountered i don't think they're in packs but say you encountered a pack of four crabs then you fight four crabs but say you killed three of them and one of them escaped in, in order to inform other crabs, and they failed to kill that one, then I can bring in more crabs for them to fight. Ah, so you can, you can just, like, mess around with people, huh? Yeah. I can be, like, all four crabs pile on one person, or I can be, like, two crabs on this person, two crabs on this person, or one crab fighting each person. Or I can even have the group of four crabs try to run away because they don't want to be on the dinner plate. That day. Hey, trying to get some crab salad. <laughs> crab cakes, bro. Let me go get them. And at the same time, say they killed three crabs. 
the fourth crab successfully escapes informs the crab colony and all of a sudden a thousand crabs show up i could easily do that as well huh and then you're given the options afterwards mm-hmm. on what to do after that yep because then they see in a horde of a thousand crabs and they can be like we cannot fight this and then other times they'd be like oh sweet we're having crab tonight boys <laughs> Okay, I mean, that's pretty interesting, I mean... It's very much, I present the situation to them, and I react to the character's reaction to what I just presented to them. That's what I do a lot as the DM. Now, like, suppose they kill the crab, right? Mm -hmm. Like, could the DM... I'm sure they can, like, change the numbers, right? They can... This is just, like, a little outline of what they could copy out of mm-hmm. so you can be like a king crab this let's is, say yeah. challenges five say i could i mean these are all this is what the wizards of the coast people put for stat wise but say i'd be like i have found a crab i'm going to dunk it in radioactive material <laughs> let it sit for a year and all of a sudden this crab is now 20 feet tall 30 feet wide I can use this as an outline, but I can change a lot of the stats in order to accommodate a 20-foot-tall crab now attacking the party. Because then I can be like, well, now their strength rate is not going to be 2. I can move it up to 20, which is the almost Thanks. the max. It is not the max. It's the max for players, but not the max for monsters. Huh. Or I can move the constitution up to 15. Intelligence, I can move it up to 2. So not a big advantage, but a little bit. Charisma, I'll probably just keep at two as well. That's a dancing crab. He wants to dance battle. I could, could make it a dancing crab. And if that's the case, I'd increase the charisma by a ton. So when they dance battle it, the crab can beat it in the dance battle. Huh. That's... Wow, I mean, like... Just explaining D&D, it just seems pretty fun because, like... The ability to just kind of create your own... It's like you make your own game. Like It's a lot of imagination and you make your own game. Yeah. The, all of these books are just guidelines and advice and tips on how to make your own game, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it just it just seems pretty fun. Like, honestly, I think I'm kind of jealous I didn't know about this as a kid. Because, <laughs> like, as a kid, I did, like, try to make my own game, you know? But I didn't know there was actually, like... Like, D&D was actually perfect for somebody like, like me that likes the creative thought and makes own weapons and characters. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was actually a thing. Yeah, I I didn't know about it, too, until high school came around and a friend introduced me to it. He's just like, hey, I have these books. I was thinking about starting a campaign. Do you want to play? Mm-hmm. And I went, what the heck is D&D? I got no clue. And then fast forward to, like, six years later, here I am being a DM running like three different campaigns (laughs) so i mean yeah i mean it's definitely a nice game to get people to think creatively instead felix wants to run up a wall backflip off of it and decapitate a skeleton all in one go yeah like the game like has a lot of flexibility Instead of, like, you know, like, Monopoly, you earn money. Yeah. You, you can't, like, manipulate the rule. The main thing you want to look out for is your your DM, who is able to run it. If you have someone like me, I usually value 
the player's input a lot. So if the player wants to do this, I don't want to be the one to be like, that's not possible, Felix. It doesn't make sense for you to backflip off of the wall. I don't want to do that to people because that takes away their fun and satisfaction that they find in the game. If it brings you fun doing that, I'd be like, all right, sure. You're going to have to give me the roles for it. <laughs> um, I have a few players which are just like, that doesn't, well, that's not fun. I don't want to roll for this. And then I have a few players which are just like, I'm going to find items. I'm going to find potions. I'm going to drink them, buff my stats until I can do this just to show that I can do this. And I went, go ahead. I want you to successfully do this so I can be surprised when you do it. At the same time, if you have a DM that's very much a stickler, that's just like, no, don't do that. That doesn't make sense. You probably don't want that person as your DM. You want to find someone else. Wow. I mean, it's a good hour. Honestly, this is a great like introductory. I can keep going if you want me to as well. <laughs> I, th- I think it's just a lot for, I mean, oh, snap. Well, camera died out. I guess we're closing it. <laughs>